Today on Season 3, Episode 49 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, we kick off our newest guest series. This series gives you an inside look at our upcoming opponent and those who cover them. This week, Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, coordinator of Locked On NFL and College, and editor for Canal Street Chronicles joins Bryce in the UPP studio. Ross addresses the Saints' recent struggles, what they need to do to right the ship, as well as the keys to victory for both the Packers and the Saints Sunday night. Stay tuned for a great twist of the unknown. And now it's time for Facing the Opponent, Ross Jackson on tap. so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Pack! Go! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, yellow. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. And we are proud to introduce for facing the opponent, Ross Jackson on tap, Ross Jackson himself, Locked On Saints podcast host, Locked On podcast NFL and college coordinator, and Canal Street Chronicles editor. How are you doing, Ross? Doing very well, Bryce, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Very glad to be able to join you here and talk about what is... uh, I keep calling it as much of a must-win game as you can have in week three of an NFL season. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I can't wait to talk a little bit about the Saints a little bit later on. And this is our first time having an opponent, if you will, come on for our Mm -hmm. guest episodes. And so thrilled for uh, facing the opponent and Ross Jackson on tap. And first and foremost, I want to know a little bit about your background, if you will, and what, what inspired you to cover sports, to get involved in what you are doing so far? That's such an awesome question, man. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for being willing to have like a little bit of a personal conversation before we dive into the sports, for right? Sure. I, I, that means a lot to yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I love doing this. Um, so I, I got into sports just simply because, I mean, I played football growing up and I was, you know, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in New Orleans and in New Orleans, like especially as like a young black kid like myself, your options were probably like play in sports or potentially get in trouble. <laughs> and that was kind of what you had. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I uh, I ended up playing football and I did that up until I was about 15. And then I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and had to get that surgically removed. That was two weeks before Hurricane Katrina. So it was a little bit of a wild kind of moment oh, within man. time. Uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, but then after that, obviously, I couldn't play sports anymore. So after I moved up to uh, northern Louisiana, got back into school, things like that, I wasn't really able to do sports anymore because I couldn't do any type of contact with my head and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so football, not really the best option for me right. <laughs> with that being the case. Uh, so I, I ended up moving up to Louisiana. Then I ended up moving to uh Arkansas. And then I got into theater out of nowhere. I had done performance poetry in the French quarter growing up busking and everything like that. So that wasn't (laughs) out of the ordinary in terms of like performance, but doing things like, you know, standing up and doing, you know, memorizing lines and and doing all that, you know, doing plays and all that was all new to me. And I fell in love with it. And I started stage managing. I actually worked for 11 years as a professional stage manager, actors equity represented doing Broadway, off Broadway and regional theater around the the country. Cool. And loved doing that, but 
still felt like I wanted to find a way to merge the two. Like I wanted to find a way to do the facilitation of stage management to you get to facilitate all of these different types of creative endeavors, whether they be musicals, plays, dance, whatever. But I wanted to find a way to merge that in sports. And so I kept doing things like, I remember to apply for this like production assistant in Bristol with ESPN or this, that, and the other. And then I, I fell into sports radio and listening to sports radio, which I grew up listening to. And then I had like this big sort of gap in my life to where I didn't indulge myself with it as much anymore. And then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is the way to go. And then I started writing, uh, all saints considered good friend of mine, Tyler McClatchy, uh, who is a, uh, he's an offensive line coach at a uh, school over on the East coast. He at a college over on the East coast, he started a blog, All Saints Considered, which is now Section 600, started writing with them and then picked up podcasting through them. And then all of a sudden I got this email from David Locke about like, yo, do you want to do a daily show covering the Saints? And I figure if there's any team you can do a daily show on, it's the Saints because the news never stops. (laughs) (laughs) The news never stops. They're always cutting up and doing something crazy. Uh, And so then I got to take like all of the, the acting training, all of the you know, the connective training that I did, that I learned about how to work with audiences and how to incorporate people, how to engage people. And then I got to put it into something that I loved, which was not only sports, football, but the New Orleans Saints as well. And then now with my coordinator role, all of that facilitation comes to be a part of that. So that's kind of the journey. Um, and uh, that's really what led me up to this point to where like, this is what I'm doing now. And I'm so grateful Man, for it. How cool. And I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that everything has gone well, transpired well, after uh, your brain tumor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things were good. I had uh, epilepsy for about five years. Uh, or not, let, me, let me not say, I, I, technically I still have epilepsy, okay. but I haven't had any issues with it for probably about four or five. So I had it for about five years. It was bad for about five years and then it's been okay for about five years. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, you know, things are, things are better. I guess it's a little bit longer than that. My timelines are all messed up. I'm, I'm, I'm older than I think I am, but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, I had it for a little while and then it, it's, things have uh, gotten much well, better. I am grateful that everything has transpired well for you. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. I'm thrilled to talk a little bit about the saints and speaking about the saints covering the saints. Is there an interview or story that sticks out as most memorable? Yeah, I mean, my favorite my favorite story that I got to talk about was uh, week. Oh, I can't remember the week number. It was mid season, two thousand and seventeen. Sean Payton destroyed a fire alarm in the Cincinnati Bengals locker room <laughs> because the fire the fire alarm was going off in the visiting locker room, and he destroyed it because I guess that was supposed to make it stop. I don't know. It was just the pull <laughs> handle on the, on the wall. So like that wasn't going to stop it, but yeah, he got in a lot of trouble for that. And that was a fun one to cover because I got the opportunity to talk to somebody that was, that is uh, a, 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 what we would call now an essential worker, right? Just mm-hmm. a shout out essential workers and Absolutely. all the great work that they're doing at uh, the, the Bengal stadium about like, okay, so what is the, how much does this cost? Like, what does it take <laughs> to destroy one of these things at all? And that was a really fun story to follow up. And on. one of my favorite things about having guests come on are those little trinkets, if you will, of like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that story. So the first thing that I'm going to do after we're done recording, I'm going to check out this story and then uh, have a little aftermath chuckle. And that definitely sticks out <laughs> in considering or outside of interviews, what has been your mm-hmm. favorite experience covering the New Orleans Saints? 
I think my favorite thing is is the fan base. I mean, like I I love the team. I guess let me say it this way: my favorite thing is the connection between the fan base and the team. There's there's a very very strong. There's a time, and and you probably like I I imagine like I I put the Packers, the Bills, and the Saints all kind of in their own category in terms of the connective tissue between club and community, and the the work that the New Orleans Saints have done within their community. You look at Demario Davis and Benjamin Watson, for instance, who. Right put up legend, you know, who helped to pass legislation for, to give people voting rights who were, who are felons, but for nonviolent crimes, giving people back their rights, giving people back their life Mm -hmm. over something that shouldn't have been taken away from them in the first place, based upon the, the level of, you know, crime and punishment, which is always a, a large conversation in the black community. And so like, all of that, the, the the incredible work that Malcolm Jenkins does, who's now a CNN correspondent. Right. But even before all of that, the work that Drew Brees has done building, you know, all inclusive and all accessible playgrounds at Audubon Park, helping to put together um, uh, food drives for the people of Louisiana, put $5 million towards food drives to make sure that people could eat in the midst of this pandemic. Then they put another $5 million in here recently to start building up clinics and things like that to make sure that people can get testing sites administered. Just the incredible work that they all do. Cam Jordan does it as well. Sean Payton has been a part of it and many others that you know probably fly under the radar like like individual football camps and things like that. There's such a, a connective, there's such strong connective tissue between this club and the community that that's probably one of my favorite things that I get to talk about all the time because I really focus not just about what's going on on the field, which I love to talk about, but I also like talking about what's going on off the field mm-hmm. and what the, the work that these guys are putting in all around. And it goes from the top with Gail Benson and the, and the things that she's been able to do, even though she's also been a little bit of hot water from time to time, yeah. uh, but all the way down the roster as well. And it's a, uh, it's a really incredible, incredible connection. And that's, that's the thing that I gravitate towards. And when people talk about, ah, it's just sports and it's just a game. Um, while that's true, there's just something more about how sports can connect people. And my childhood was all revolved around sports and now I've been able to marry uh, my passion for sports and also my life as a sign language interpreter and then also covering mm-hmm. the Green Bay Packers with our Unknown Packers podcast. So the that's what I gravitate towards is those those stories of things outside of, of football or outside of sports, that human aspect. And I love it. And I mentioned it in our uh, pre-production that we've been going back, corresponding back and forth, and I felt this energy that we're cut from the same cloth mm-hmm. and your your answers speak to that. And so I appreciate the thoughtful answers as well. And as we pivot, we're talking Green Bay Packers, New Orleans Saints, Sunday mm-hmm. night football. And uh, as I was prepping for this episode, I wanted to get an idea of what your personality was. And I also wanted to extract some information and incorporate it into our episode and You've got a YouTube channel or an episode that's called What Just Happened, mm-hmm. featuring the week two loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, 34-24. And you highlighted struggles. And so do you foresee the same struggles against the Raiders translate over against the Packers on Sunday Night Football? Uh, the joke that I keep making is that the Saints defense in particular should be hoping that whatever happens in Vegas does indeed stay in <laughs> Vegas because that's where that defense needs to stay. <laughs> they do not need to bring that defense home uh, up against this Green Bay Packers offense that scored 85 points and has already gone over a thousand yards in 
two games, mm-hmm. which I believe is only the second team to do that since like a far and away Bills team mm-hmm. years ago. Um, it, it's it's an incredible system that they've put together there, and the execution is starting to fall into place. Matt Lafleur, Aaron Rodgers, really starting to mesh in terms of play calling versus execution, and you're seeing the spacing, the the things with the way that routes are being run in terms of their combinations and, and their their spacing, their relationship to one another, not cluttering parts of the field, but really the way that every individual is running a route just in the passing game is helping to either open themselves up or open somebody else up. All of that is stuff that we would talk about usually from the New Orleans Saints perspective, right? Sean Payton as a play caller, Drew Brees as an executor. And right now we've seen them struggling with that. I, I have a hard time believing, and I would say this for any team, and I've said this about the Packers in the past as well, back in the, the R E L A X season. <laughs> um, it's hard for me to believe that a team with so much talent on it can have, so many top performers not perform at the same time for a consistent amount of time. We saw that with the Packers those many years ago when they completely turned their season around. We've seen that with the New Orleans Saints here over the past few seasons, them starting off 0-3, 0-2, and then still finishing with double-digit wins and ending up in the playoffs over the last couple of seasons, losing Drew Brees last year for five games, right. still ending up 13-3, and things like that, right? So I have a hard time believing that it's going to be consistent, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen two weeks in a row. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So the way that I look at this is that this is the game that the Saints need to get it right because like we talked about uh, you know this is kind of as much of a must win game as you can have this early in the season just considering the playoff implications that come with a conference loss at this point it happened to the saints last year all three of their losses against conference opponents and that's why they ended up being a 13 and 3 wild card team right um that's the way that it works right and so especially with an extra playoff uh, competitor in each extra playoff slot in each conference and only one essentially non wildcard team now in each conference, the saints need to win those conference games. And so I, I don't know if it's something that will remain consistent. I'm going to, I'm going to put my money on the fact that it's not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they could turn it around because this is certainly the game that does it. And they have the opportunities to do. I know the Packers are a great offense right now, but there are some question marks over on the defensive side that would allow the Saints offense to get back into rhythm. They just need to be able to execute as the the other half of that equation. A perfect segue when you're talking about the Packers D-line, an aspect that has struggled, especially with Kenny Clark, who's nursing a, a groin injury. You highlighted in uh, what just happened the Saints' interior line has struggled. Mm-hmm. Is this a matchup that you're most fixated on, the Packers' D-line and the Saints' interior O-line? Yeah, I'm really interested in it because even if Kenny Clark can't go, we have to consider, and this is going to be weird for some people to hear, probably not for, for the Packers fans, but we have to consider Zadarius Smith's, Zadarius Smith's effectiveness on the inside as well. I know he's essentially a D-end outside linebacker, mm-hmm. but the guy has the sixth highest pass rush win rate amongst defensive tackles in the NFL because of how effective he can be on the interior. So even without Kenny Clark, there's still reason to be concerned about the Saints interior, which has struggled so far because they haven't been able to start their rookie first round pick, Cesar Ruiz. Mm -hmm. It's been Nick Easton that's been sitting there. Nick Easton, of course, many Packers fans are familiar with. He spent years with the Minnesota Vikings before playing with the New Orleans Saints. And so the matchup if Nick Easton is starting there, essentially gives you two weak links at the guard position in Andrus Pete and Nick Easton. Now, Andrus Pete, I call a weak link, but he's still a very good guard. He just has lapses and has, you know, those two or three plays that stand out and that 
broadcast blows up and therefore it blows up on Twitter, so on and so forth. You know how how the world works. Uh, but Nick Easton is somebody a little bit more consistently uh, a, a weak link. And I think that if you can replace him and get Cesar Ruiz underway, he was inactive the first game. He only played six snaps the second game when Nick Easton had to come off the field. If you can get Cesar Ruiz involved into the, into the interior offensive line, which is what the Saints want, then maybe that offensive line is heightened by that subtraction of Nick Easton, even though you're plugging in an unknown commodity so far, because he is a rookie right. in Cesar Ruiz. So we have to be aware of that. But even in doing that, maybe you get the cohesion that you're looking for and the communication that you're looking for as opposed to having Nick Easton essentially playing out of position. And still focusing on what just happened, your YouTube episode, the Saints were unable to carry over the momentum from their week one win into the newly minted Allegiant Stadium. Quote, you want it, you can have it, end quote, as you Mm -hmm. cleverly coined. What were those issues and do you expect to see the same defensive performance in week three of Sunday Night Football? Yeah, I think that this goes along the same line of like, how often can so many superstar, I don't want to say superstar players, but, you know, top performing players not perform? Mm -hmm. You know, how often can that happen? I I don't know, but we have seen Saints secondary struggle before. And so that shouldn't be out of the ordinary for folks to see. And I think that, you know, you have Malcolm Jenkins who got locked up in a lot of man coverage against Darren Waller. That was something that the Raiders were really able to take advantage of. Malcolm Jenkins isn't somebody you want in man coverage. You want him playing the run in the box. You want him rushing the passer or you want him playing and taking care of some cover two second zone safety kind of guy uh, while you have Marcus Williams taking care of the other half. That's where you want those safeties. You want them 10, 12 yards away from the line of scrimmage or rushing at the line of scrimmage and, and, and in pursuit of a ball carrier as opposed to trying to man up with somebody like Darren Waller, who like is classified as a tight end, sure, but the guy's an athlete. Right. Like he's he's wildly incredible. And for the Saints, what was the problem for them, and what John Gruden so cleverly took advantage of in this game is that the Raiders' offense is predicated a lot, just like the Saints' offense, in short to intermediate passes and attacking the middle of the field, as most NFL offenses are. And when you take Demario Davis and make him have to man up against Aaron Waller because he's your most effective stopper of that player, you vacate the middle of the field and leave that to one linebacker in Alex Anzalone. Maybe you play a little bit of robber and have Malcolm Jenkins play down, but we didn't see the Saints do that a lot, which may have been to their benefit of actually going that route because Alex Anzalone kind of struggled in holding up the middle of the field when Demario Davis was charged with, hey, I need you to limit Darren Waller on this on this uh, on this drive, and so when that would happen, then all of a sudden you saw Hunter Renfro getting his catches over right. the middle, Foster Moreau on his wheel route. Like you saw them take advantage of the Saints vacating the middle of the field, and so I think that that is something that they'll have a better system for. The Saints didn't play a a, a third linebacker a single snap in the week two game. And in week one, they only did it three times. So they really lived in nickel and dime defense, which is fine because they can stop the run in nickel defense. Even if their average across the board in nickel defense is 241 pounds, they were able to hold, let's say Tampa Bay, for instance, to just over three yards per carry. They held uh, Oakland at 3.3 yards per carry. So they can defend the run light. But the issue is you don't have the linebackers and the coverage over the middle available if you have to designate one of them to eliminate a threat like Darren Waller, which thankfully for the Saints, the Packers don't have. (laughs) But 
can create, you know, if the matchup is And right. I didn't have you come on just to talk about the Saints' struggle. That is not something that... Uh, no, I appreciate and, that. And, no, of course. And as we switch gears a little bit to f- highlight what the Saints do bring to the table in a positive fashion, you mentioned that you're not going to hit the panic button after the Week 2 Monday night performance. Rather, you said, quote, how will they respond, end quote. So how do you think the Saints respond Sunday night football? Yeah, the moniker that I used when when I was stage managing and that I still use now as a manager and as a coordinator is it's not about what you do wrong. It's about what you do next. Right. Love that. And that's the way that I look at a lot of different things with folks. And of course, there's limitations to that. But <laughs> but uh, when it comes to the Saints, when it comes to the play of NFL teams, I usually sort of. I really take my more my more wide swathing, broad strokes judgments based upon quarters of the season, so four games at a time. Okay. And so I'm curious to see how it is that the Saints can respond. And the Saints do have an ability to respond here if they can strike a happy medium between the excellent defense we saw in the first game and the horrid defense that we saw in the second game. If they could provide something mediocre then or adequate, then I think that that's enough to give the Saints the possessions that they need. I mean, you look at a couple of the places where the the Raiders won, it came down to extending drives, 10 of 17 on third down, two other third downs given up on penalty, two converted fourth downs as well. So extending drives is a big issue. You didn't see that in week one. So if the Saints can sort of cut that in half and then get back to being to performing on third down as a defense, that gives the Saints more opportunities over on the offensive side. The Saints had five snaps on offense in the third quarter period in Sunday's, uh, excuse me, in Monday night's game. So if you can get the ball back to your offense <laughs> uh, without giving up scores to get it back to the offense, then that's that's really the way to go about it. So I think that that's why I look at this and I say, okay, the the things are fixable. The issues are, are, are diagnosable. And so now I'm curious to see how they write the ship. And some of that comes down to perhaps mixing in, you know, more linebacker play for that defense or finding ways to keep Malcolm Jenkins from getting stuck in positions that he was never brought back to New Orleans to 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 achieve and to be a part of finding ways to take advantage of the to set up the defenders on the Saints side to be in advantageous positions as opposed to playing with their backs against the wall. The Saints defensive line rotation is something that has remained really incredible. I haven't gotten to finish breaking down the uh, Monday night game just yet. But last week, the Saints rotated 31 different configurations, which could mean the same four defensive linemen, but lining them up in different places. And then they also rolled out 21 different combinations just amongst the personnel. So literally the difference in the, the players. So they have a rotation that's really incredible. And they were generating sacks and pressures all the way down to and introducing new lineups all the way down to the final drive of the game in week one. And I assume you'll see the same thing from week two. You'll see the same thing in week three. The Packers have a very talented offensive line. The thing that's going to make this or give the Saints the best chance to beat to, to win against that offensive line is going to come from being the freshest second half players. And with the rotation, they'll be able to do that over on the offensive side for the Saints, or they should be able to do that over on the offensive side for the Saints. You look at Drew Brees not being able to get the ball down the field. A lot of people have really put a lot of focus on that this week. I couldn't care less because this is a an offense that hasn't put the ball downfield for three years now. So why all of a sudden are we worried that Drew Brees is done because he can't push the ball downfield when we're seeing the same Drew Brees that we've seen over the past three years? My biggest issue with what we've seen with the Saints offense is that the things that they are usually 
known for achieving and known to be the top of the league in timing, ball placement, accuracy. Those are the things that have been lacking over these first two weeks. And I have a hard time believing that that ship is not going to get righted, whether it be by Drew Brees, by Coach Payton, or simply by timing and fluidity from the rest of the offense around Drew Brees that allows it, that makes the game a little bit easier and makes the game a little bit more what we're used to seeing from New Orleans. So those are the things I think they need to fix. And those are things I think that they can fix. It's just about how quickly can they do it. And still focusing on the offensive side of the ball, the matchup that I'm most intrigued with outside of the interior line of the Saints and the D line of the Green Bay Packers is the dynamic duo for the Saints and the Packers, Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones. Do you foresee this Mm -hmm. being the matchup for the ages running backs wise? Mm -hmm. Uh, This could be a really, really fun one. Um, You know, the Saints haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher since 2017. Samaji Piran in like a week 15 matchup was an (laughs) overtime game. Um, And so Aaron Jones, after last week, Josh Jacobs, is probably now the biggest threat to that streak. Because, you know, week one... Uh, Mike Zimmer said, all right, Aaron, beat us with your arm. And Aaron said, all right, cool, I got you. And then he beat them with his arm. (laughs) And then in the second week, Patricia said, all right, beat us on the ground. And Aaron Jones said, excellent, I will do that. (laughs) And then they did that. Uh, (laughs) And so I, I think that, you know, if the Saints are able to take away the run, it puts them in a much better, uh, in a much better situation because, it just makes them one dimensional. You kind of know what to expect, things like that. But you have to also be able to convert over on the offensive side for the Saints. And Alvin Kamara would be a good uh, example of uh, of how to get that done. I mean, you look at the Green Bay Packers and they've struggled against running backs, right. production against running backs, not necessarily maybe the, in, in the yardage, but just in terms of success, converting mm-hmm. on third downs, extending drives, scoring and scoring position, things like that. They're uh, in the low 20s, I want to say 20 sixth or 29th one of the two in DVOA in defending opposing running backs. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good matchup for Alvin Kamara in both the pass and the run game. So for the Saints, if they focus in on stopping or trying to limit, let me say it that way, and trying to limit Aaron Jones, then that's great. But then they still need to be producing over on the offensive side and creating some ball control for themselves so that they don't lose time of possession by a wide margin like they did last week. And so I think that what that does lead up to is a big matchup, as you as you already observed, between Aaron Jones and Alvin Kamara that should be a lot of fun this and week. And I've got two questions before we wrap up. Facing the opponent, Ross Jackson on tap. And lastly, talking about the Saints and the Packers, the Saints are 10-0 at home on Sunday Night Football with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Who will stand out for the Saints? Mm-hmm. What do the Saints excel in? And what do they need to do in order to come away with a victory? And what do the Packers need to do in order to come away from uh, with a victory from a Saints perspective? Mm-hmm. So for me, for the Saints win, and I identified this um, on on Locked on Saints today, so I'm very excited to talk about it because it's fresh on my mind. Awesome. Uh, the Saints have to get production from three specific positions. Wide receiver two or their Z flanker strong side wide receiver. Um, their tight end and their running back. We just talked about Alvin Kamara, but when we look at wide receiver and tight, wide receiver two and tight end, those are the other two positions that in defensive DVOA, the Packers have shown that they'll struggle against. Uh, Jair Alexander 
I wouldn't even look his way if I didn't have to, probably. <laughs> uh, but in terms of attacking the secondary elsewhere, some of the ways that you can do that are going to be going over the middle to the tight end. Yeah. They're going to be running those crossers that the Saints love to run. Uh, they're going to be utilizing com uh, combined crossing routes or combined levels concepts. They really like levels concepts to where, like a dagger concept, for instance, that works in levels by adding you know, a flat by the running back and then otherwise they're running a fly route with one receiver to clear out and then they're running an out with another receiver trying to hit him at the sideline and then on the same side they'll run a flat by the running back and then have that as the the outlet for Drew Brees should it be necessary and so being able to take advantage of the strong side of the offense like that or being able to take advantage of crossing routes over the middle that's going to be the way that the Saints offense can get back into rhythm against this defense when we look at DVOA just to specifically give numbers there the wide receiver two again in the sort of mid 20s for the Green Bay Packers, but the Packers are dead last in defending against tight ends right now. Okay. Over these two games, over the league average, they have allowed 98% over the league average in terms of successful plays, which again, doesn't necessarily mean scoring, but it means extending drives. It means, you know, uh, uh, meaningful catches. It means chunk yardage, things like that. So that's where I think that the Saints need to attack on the offensive side in order to win. Over on the defensive side, which combine sort of my idea with how the Packers can get their win is that essentially the defense needs to be able to step up and defend what it is that they are expecting their own offense to do because the Packers are also going to take advantage of crossing routes over the middle of the field. They're also going to attack the middle there, but they also have the ability to take deep shots as well. Aaron Rodgers still has the arm. He can absolutely gun it down. So the Saints can't get beat over the top. They have to limit the, the deep plays, the big chunk yardage, things like that. They have to limit the deep ball, which is something they haven't had to focus on these last two weeks because Tom Brady's not pushing it downfield. Derek Carr and the John Gruden offense, they're not interested in, in putting it downfield. That's not what they're predicated on. So the Saints haven't had to worry about that as much. And it's been easier for them to eliminate the deep ball this week, especially if Devontae Adams is healthy and ready to go. But also so you have Alan Lazard, who's second mm -hmm. right now amongst wide receivers in DVOA on the offensive side. And then you also have MVS, who's been outstanding. The, the supporting cast around the top talent for Green Bay is, I think, what helps make the difference for Green Bay because the, the Raiders beat the Saints with their top talent. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers tried to attack them with their top talent. But the thing that separates those teams from Green Bay and the way that I think Green Bay wins is by producing with the other players around their top talent outside of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. If they get production from Alan Lazard, MVS, Josiah DeGuara, if he's good to go, mm -hmm. depending upon who's available there at the tight end position, if they get that production there, it helps them big time to be able to extend drives and be able to sort of put together the same type of game plan that the Raiders did, but at a higher octane. I love the analysis. I love your perspective. I love your energy. Thank you so much for taking time time out of your busy schedule to come on the Unknown Packers podcast for your own self-titled episode. And as we wrap up facing the <laughs> opponent, Ross Jackson on tap, I've got a pop quiz question for you. This wasn't part of the agenda, but uh, oh, good. have no fear. If you could go back and cover one season of the New Orleans Saints, what season would that be? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I would go back to the 2011 Saints. I know it's weird to not go back to the Super Bowl winning year. I get that. But the 2011 Saints offense put up 7,474 total offensive yards and had a middle-of-the-pack defense, maybe a low 20s defense, but still higher than most defenses we've seen in New Orleans. <laughs> and so that team 
came so close. And of course, they were bounced in the NFC Championship that season by the San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. you know, letting Alex Smith get a huge run, Vernon Davis with the big catch and run, what I still refer to as the actual beast quake that was <laughs> Vernon Davis, uh, um, or the original beast quake. Um, that would be the season that I would go back and, and, and watch because I, that the offensive production that season, the scheme, the deep ball, all the things that were there, Sean Payton's offense was just incredible that season. The playbook is outstanding from that season as well. Many of those plays still exist within the Saints playbook now, but just a remarkably historic season that I would have loved to have been able to cover. I love it. And for our listeners, when does your uh, Locked On Saints podcast episode drop highlighting uh, the matchup for Sunday Night Football? Yeah, so uh, it's it, we've started underway. I had myself and uh, Peter Bukowski, who hosts the Locked On Packers podcast. Mm-hmm. He came on. We talked today to do sort of a crossover episode to promote and preview this game. He and I are highly analytical and film study guys, so it was super fun to like go through and just like throw a bunch of numbers out and say, we'll see what this all means <laughs> on Sunday night. Uh, so it was really fun. Uh, and then I'll go a little bit deeper again tomorrow. We have another podcast. I, you know, My show is daily every mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. Um, which usually the episodes drop the night before. So I guess technically you could say Tuesday through, I mean, Sunday through Thursday, but whatever, logistics. And so the Friday proper episode uh, will be dropping later on tonight. That'll be another preview and the final preview ahead of the game uh, to where I'll look at all of this DVOA stuff that we just talked about, as well as looking at the defensive line rotation and sort of keys to victory for the Saints, which is one of my favorite things to do because it's, I don't really like doing predictions because mm-hmm. I really believe in the every any given Sunday idea of the NFL. But I do like to talk about if the Saints win, this is what it looks like. If the Saints lose, this is why. And uh, and, and I look forward to digging into that. Well, I can't wait to check out those uh, episodes over the weekend. And I hope everyone enjoyed this Facing the Opponent, a new twist to our guest episodes. And last but not least, where can our listeners follow you as well as support the type of content that you produce? I appreciate that. Yeah, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola, N-O-L-A. And uh, the Locked on Saints podcast is on every podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's all out there. If you can listen to a podcast on it, it's there. Uh, And then you can also catch all the written work as well over at uh, CanalStreetChronicles.com. Got a couple things coming out looking at the betting line because the Saints mysteriously are still favored minus three in this game. Can't imagine why that would be with no home field advantage and the loss that they just came off of against the the Raiders Monday night. But, you know, hey, get your money in. Uh, And then there's also uh, my big five questions for the Saints heading in. And then tomorrow I'll also have my defensive line rotation article dropping. Perfect. And just so everyone's aware, by tomorrow, that is Friday. We're recording a little bit early. Nope. No worries. No apologies necessary. (laughs) No worries at all. And I truly enjoyed, uh, this is the first time that we've had a quote-unquote opponent come on for our guest episodes. We typically have had Packer players and Packer uh, beat Mm -hmm. reporters as well as Uh, people that are covering the Green Bay Packers. This is something that I was extremely excited and looking forward to uh, have come into fruition. And I felt this energy, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, throughout this episode, that energy remained intact. So thank you so much, Ross, for coming on once again. Oh, yeah, no problem. And uh, let's see if we get to do it again uh, later on in the playoffs here. These, if these uh, two teams rematch in the NFC. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll keep in touch. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Bryce Christensen. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. 
Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound refined.